Hey friends, this is Reiko Zek. I'm the pastor at St. Paul's in Clarence Center. You're listening to Jesus in the Center One Year Bible Podcast. Today is January 14th, the 14th day. We are reading through uh, Genesis chapter 30 and 31, Matthew 10, Psalm 12, and Proverbs chapter 3. Good stuff here today. Thank you for joining me. Today I think will be a brief one. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. We also did not have church in person today because uh, the the winter storm here in Buffalo. Hope you're staying safe and warm. Maybe you're down in Florida and you don't have to worry about that, but for those of us up here in western New York and throughout a lot of the Midwest, it's cold. Well, Lord be with you as we read his word. We want to grow in faith this year. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we pray as we read, Jesus, how are you revealing yourself to us? How can we grow in faith What promises, what things can we learn today? Well, as we jump right in, in uh, Genesis chapter 30, we see this, uh, remember remember back with the blessing of of Isaac to his son Jacob? He didn't even mean to do it, but but then again, he reaffirms it, that, um, that Jacob, you are charged and you are given the blessing uh, that uh, to be fruitful and multiply, to become a great nation, uh, to be a blessing to all the families of the earth, and and so on. Remember that? That was the blessing that God gave to Abraham, but God only gave Abraham one son with his with uh, with his wife. And so here we see uh, his grandson, Jacob. He, he goes to uh, Haran, the uh, where other family members are, and he, and he gets not just one wife, but two. He didn't plan on doing this. Remember Laban tricked him after he worked for seven years. He's supposed to have his, um, his bride to be Rachel. But remember the morning, but behold, in the morning, it was Leah, right? Laban deceived Jacob, who was the best deceiver of all. We might think, man, this is really just a lot of bum stuff. This is a lot of, uh, this is a messed up family. And you say, yeah, it is. God works through messed up families. So take heart because pretty sure yours is messed up just like mine. So we're all messed up, but yet God, God is good. We see in the story, you know, that Jacob is charged and even, you know, given a blessing from God that he ought to be fruitful and multiply. And in the midst of the conflict between Rachel and Leah, yet God is working to give Jacob uh, 12 sons. We see 11 of them in the in between the last chapter and this chapter, Genesis 30, and then there'll be one who will be born later to Rachel. That's Benjamin. Um, she calls Ben Ami. We'll get to that in chapter 35. But here, uh, there is this, uh, we see this back and forth, jealous, jealousy, this, this childbearing competition. Did you know that having kids is not a competition? It just isn't. Uh, how many you have, uh, how good your kids are, you know, you want to do your best and, ha- you know, and all that, but it's not a competition. But here in Genesis 30, 29 and 30, it most definitely is. And so, especially with Leah, who, you know, she wasn't the one that that Jacob wanted to marry. Nothing against her, it's just that he fell in love with Rachel. And he, he asked Rachel's father, you know, I'll work for you seven years if you give me her in marriage. It wasn't he was like he was trying to despise Leah, but he does love Rachel. You know, he, you know, there's just so much conflict. So just a couple things here that I'm sure you, if you read it, 
they uh, Rachel sees that Leah is having has four children and she hasn't had any yet, and so she's angry. She says to Jacob, "Give me children, or I shall die." And many mothers have felt that way. That's the prayer of of many mothers: "Give me children, or I am going to die." This is why God is one of the reasons that God has put me on earth, and I need I need to be a mother. And not not only because of the biological need, but the social need. If uh, especially in those days, if you were barren, you it's like being cursed. God must not love you. God, uh, and so even, even here, Jacob says, uh, "Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb?" In other words, Jacob, they're all acknowledging that God is the one who did not give her children yet, uh, but yet she's crying out to her husband, "Give me children." I'm sure he was trying, right? Because we see that he spends way more time with Rachel, Jacob does, than than he does with Leah. So we see this. Uh, so what does she do since she can't have children? She's going to get her her servant involved, Bilhah. And so a couple of times there's um, the surrogate mothers that, that come into play. And then we see this, um, along with this this competition we see that God judging right look at verse 6 Rachel her her servant has a child a, a son and Rachel says God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son here we don't think of judging she doesn't mean it in the negative sense like God has judged me and found out how bad I am but rather God has given me justice right this justice that I need to have a son even though it's through her uh, servant it's considered her son in those days. Um, and so they named him Dan, the God judges, right? And then she has another one. Uh, and they name, she names him Naphtali, which means basically something like wrestling. And she says, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, right? There's no, there's no coy in this here. They're not hiding the fact they're at war with one another. There's a battle going on. It's me against you, sister. Who's going to be the most loved? Who's going to have the most kids, especially sons, right? Who's going to uh, come out on top, right? Well, Leah is not done. Uh, Leah also gives her, so it just goes on, right? So we we can go through the details, but we just see here that throughout this, though, they, they think that it is the Lord who, who either closes or opens the womb, and they're still going to use the Lord to win the battle, right? This is this is bad, yet God will end up using it to indeed make them into a great nation so that there will be a nation that will come out of Egypt and, and live in the land, that there might be you know a temple, a, a people, um, a law, all these things that, that God had promised in place in order to bring the great Redeemer. So this is part of God's master plan. And along the way, we can see things uh, where God is good, and yet uh, he's working through the the hearts of people who are not so good. Well, eventually, um, verse 22, it says that God remembered Rachel. And remember that word, I just said it now, that word in the Bible is not so much God, you know, looked back in his, the files and his men, mental uh, capacities and pulled a file out, like remembered it, like literally got his memory going. But it was more like God brings salvation to the present right now. So that's what uh, that, that means here. God looked, and it even says God listened to her and opened her womb. And so uh, 
she has a child. God has taken away my reproach, she said, and she called his name Joseph, which is something like, um, may he add, or may the Lord add, may the Lord add to me another son. So interesting that it's almost like she's not content with just this one Joseph. I guess she is. She says the Lord has added to me this son, but it's almost like she's looking into the future. Like she wants another one besides this one. The Lord has blessed me, yet I want another one, right? And she doesn't have that another one until, um, you know, much a little bit down the road, uh, her last son. And it's a tragic story. Uh, as she is giving birth, she she is also perishing. Her son Benjamin lives, but Rachel will end up dying. Well, anyway, there's other things in this chapter. There's this whole section where um, Jacob is asks for wages rather than just serving for his wives. And uh, his uncle Laban wants to, we see in the next chapter, that he's changed Jacob's wages ten times. And, and so Jacob trusts the Lord and makes a deal with Laban and basically says, hey, give me all the spotted animals, all, you know, most of the animals that time were, uh, as it's kind of a little bit hard to, to track, but most of the animals in the herds were white sheep, black goats, and brown cattle. And so Jacob says, I will take the ones who are, uh, who come out, who are speckled or spotted or whatever. And he says, even it's only the ones I'm going to take who are born of like fully colored, right? So if there's uh, a flock full of white sheep, I'm going to separate, and Laban does this, he separates all the speckled and and spotted ones so that the speckled and spotted can't mate um, to then, you know, have um, more speckled and spotted. It it seems unusual, and so it's it's a bad deal on Jacob's part. He says, "I'll, I'll take the ones who are, who come to be speckled and spotted and striped and whatever, of the ones that are fully colored. So it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. They know about selective breeding and, and all that. And so it's a bad deal for Jacob. Laban says, good, let it be to you as you have said. Laban thinks that he's going to use Jacob's work, you know, his the protection of the flock and all that. It's going to turn out really good in his favor. However, um, the Lord supersedes Jacob. Um, does some things and he trusts the Lord and, and and it's interesting. The main thing is that God works it out for good to increase Jacob's flocks, right? To give him a good payment for his years of working for Laban. So uh, we can read about that uh, in more detail. If you have questions, let me know. But uh, I, th- I find that uh, fascinating. The next thing we see is um, our gospel reading. It's pretty awesome. The, Jesus is going to, he, he calls 12 disciples and you know that word disciple is a learner and then he he says that they are apostles meaning sent out one and then there's this list of disciples they're always listed in the different gospels in three groups three groups of four and the orders are always a little bit different but Simon or Simon Peter is always listed first and Judas Iscariot is always listed last and um, Philip is always first in the second set of four and James, the son of Alphaeus, is always listed in the, the third group of four. And um, so there's different names depending on the gospel, like Thaddeus that we see here in Matthew is called Judas, son of James, in another gospel. So uh, they have both, likely, they have both Aramaic names and Greek names because they're in this, um, you know, there's lots of languages happening here. And so they go by different names or sometimes they have nicknames, right? Like we may think that Thomas 
might just mean twin. And so they just call him twin. Yo, twin, what's up? And uh, that's not really his name or, you know, so there's all these details. The main thing here is not the guys, who the guys are, all that, that's important. The main thing is the message, the one who sent them and what they are going to say. So it says these 12 Jesus sent out. And then he says, literally in Greek, it's something like this, do not go in the way of the nations. He's not preventing them from, from bringing this message uh, to someone who's not Jewish. That's not the point. But he says, to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we might think of that as, man, lost sheep in Israel? I thought all of Israel, they're Jewish, they're saved, they're good. No, Jesus is clear that there are lost sheep in Israel and that the kingdom is going to come to them. So he, they're to go out and say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? It's like when the one shoe was up, the second shoe was about to drop, right? It's The kingdom of heaven is here. Get ready. And from the rest of the gospel, we know what it means to, well, we're learning what it means to to receive the kingdom of heaven, what it means to receive the king. And so Jesus gives them this uh, t this power. We might say temporary because it's exercised here in this trip. It's also exercised, we see at the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, when the Apostles are validating the message by these miracles. They don't seem to last forever, but they they do be, you know, they, they are at the beginning, right? So they are to heal, they're to raise the dead, they're to cleanse lepers, they're to cast out demons. And then he says, you received without pain, give without pay. So it's not that they can't receive support. That's part of not taking anything because you're, you're going to go to the houses and a house of peace will put you up, will um, show you hospitality, will provide what you need in that town to share this good message with the rest of the town. So it's not that they can't, they can't um, get, be given support. They are to be given support. The thing is that they're not supposed to charge for the gifts, right? They're not supposed to charge 50 bucks uh, to cast out a demon, right? Or to, we could say in our day, to baptize a baby or whatever. So that's kind of a good reminder for us. We don't charge for the goods. The goods are free. The gifts are gifts. Now, let's say that someone drives 300 miles because it's your birthday. They want to bring you this awesome birthday gift. You're going to receive the gift. Could you give them some gas money? Yeah, you could because you want to, because you're grateful that they brought the gift to you. Are you buying the gift? Nah, you're not. You're not buying the gift. But out of the goodness of your heart, out of the response to their generosity, you might give them a little bit of uh, gas money or, or put them up in your house and give them some of the cake, right? Well, that's the idea. Jesus kind of in th includes in here some of this uh, message that will be more for the church universal going forward, right? Um, well, let me just back up. He says, um, if the house is worthy, let peace or shalom come upon it. But if it's not, let the peace, the shalom return to you. In other words, you can't control who is going to receive or reject this coming kingdom. And uh, so he says, shake the dust off. If they're not going to receive it, shake the dust off your feet. Leave that town. Leave that house. And he says, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah for that than it will be for that town. Because this town has so much more knowledge and, and revelation from God than did Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the reception of God's kingdom and of the shalom that it brings 
has such a huge implication for eternity. So it's kind of a sobering thought. Jesus then gives these reminders about what it will be like for the church going forward, right? To um, to trust in the midst of persecution. So there's so much good things to ponder there, especially in times of persecution. So we'll end today with uh, Psalm 12. Um, Psalm 12 is another one of these, Lord, give justice, or we could say like Rachel, Lord, uh, you have been my judge. And we can only say this because uh, we we cling to him for mercy. Verse 5 here of, of the psalm says, Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And it ends with this, uh, You, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. And we look around at our culture and say, is, the, is what is vile being honored? And it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination or thought to say, heck yeah, yeah, it is. Wow. And then the Proverbs, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. That is what we need more than anything in these dark days, these dark days where the church will be persecuted for uh, not honoring uh, what is vile, but for standing up for what is good and for saying that the Lord, the Lord is working in the midst of all this, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom, I should say, the king is at hand. The king has come. Well, lots to ponder today. Please uh, keep sharing your questions. Uh, Oh, the one thing I was going to say, a question came up. Uh, What are these mandrakes that, uh, that Rachel and Leah are fighting about? So I won't spend a lot of time on this, but one thing that I, I learned today, and so I'll try to answer this question. Why are they fighting over mandrakes? Well, Rachel, well, Reuben, this is Genesis 30, verse 14. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. And mandrakes are these orange fruit about the size of tomato. And they're um, they're thought to have these, they were called love apples. They almost have this, this really intense aroma. And so they would thought to be um, something like a fertility-inducing narcotic. All right, well, I don't know where you can get those, but um, perhaps you can pick up some at the store, right? And so it would be thought that if you have these and you eat them or your husband eats them, you know, you will, uh, you will um, be, um, become pregnant. And so Rachel asks for some because she is not, has not yet been, been pregnant. So she says, give me some of your son's, man-. she even says, please, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. And, and Leah says to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? In other words, why would I give you these love apples? Uh, because um, you've, you've taken my husband away from me. I'm not going to give them to you, but she trades them. And ironically enough, uh, Rachel has the love apples, and yet Leah is the one who gets pregnant. Well, in God's good timing and God's will, he oversees the crookedness in our hearts, the, the, the desire for control, and he does end up answering our prayers in good time and all that. So, well, lots to ponder today. Go in peace, serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.